Hello, I'm Taylor Romans. And I'm Matthew Burrett. And this is Hard Beeswax, Experiences in Waldorf Education. This week on Hard Beeswax, Taylor and I had the opportunity to speak with Daniel Winland, a Waldorf movement educator, former athletic director, spatial dynamics graduate, and enthusiastic father. We are individuals who are a part of this global education movement, and we want to be clear that we are only speaking from our own experiences and from our own impressions. We do not presume to speak for the Waldorf movement as a whole. Well, I'm so excited to have you, Daniel, here on our podcast. We have, I feel like I've grown up side by side with you in the Waldorf (laughs) School, in the Santa Fe Waldorf School, and, you know, we're good friends and poker buddies and... I yeah, I'm really grateful that you're here. Yeah, and Daniel's the um the guy who hired me for my first ever coaching job. So <laughs> I uh no, it's really it's awesome to see you. I'm used to seeing you in the office every day and definitely been missing that this year. Yeah, me too. And it's great to be here. Thanks for having me both. Well, so <laughs> we'd like to, you know, hear about your experiences in Waldorf education and we'd like to start um Maybe just going back a little bit to your personal history about, you know, what was your own education like? Yeah. So I grew up in Davis, California in the 70s and 80s, and I grew up in a public school system, and it was a great public school system. Um, I had great memories, great teachers. Um, I loved school, still do, Um, and I really did well at school. I looked to um, please my teachers. And um, I was well liked by everybody. I, I behaved. And I just, when I think back at my public school system in Davis, California, um, it was just fond memories all the way through. Yeah. And so what, um, what was high school like for you? High school. Well, so, uh, so high school was 10th through 12th grade. So oh, it interesting. Yeah. And middle school was 7, 8, 9. Huh. Yeah, and elementary, of course, was um, through sixth grade. So it was a you know a little bit older versus the freshman, which is a huge difference. And I had we had just one high school, and it was Davis, California, and so there was about uh, four hundred in my class, and wow. so that's about the size. And it was a small class that year, yeah. so that roughly fifteen hundred would have been a normal um, size for the school. And it was big, yeah. Um, you know, sports was big. In the school, um, there was an open campus. And when I think about like the comparisons to my work as a teacher, you could leave and there was no like signing out. And so there was an open campus. People can walk. There was a park right next to the school. Oh, nice. So you can walk around. You can stay on campus. Um, academics was big. It was strong. Nice. Big, I mean, it should be in all schools. But I mean, the, there was a lot of drive. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of things also going on that was like, you know, could get you away from that. Yeah. And so um, I really try to navigate that line of, you know, not being too nerdy, but loving school uh-huh. and um, doing well at it. So, yeah, it was like you could totally just disappear because <laughs> that was the kind of school it was. Like you can kind of do your thing and find a niche of friends and... Yeah. But like back then, if you were to watch some of these movies from 80s and 90s or early, I was graduating in 92, 
you know, like there was really the skater group. Yeah. And then the jock group. And then like the punk group and, you know, or kind of goth yeah. and yeah, like, nice. you know, the nerds and, and the geeks and whatever else you want to say there, there was, that was real. Yeah. Like, and I kind of navigated kind of like a lot of my friends from early public school were more of the skateboarder kind of like, not more like hard rock, they weren't punk, mm-hmm. but they really liked like Metallica mm-hmm. and like heavy metal. And then I had like my jock group, you know, the, yeah. the guys I play ball with. So I was in the both streams and I really liked being a nerd. Like not like a nerd in the sense of like being totally not liked and in that frame of it, but more (laughs) of like, I really enjoyed reading and studying and going to school. Right. So yeah, it was a really complex high school that way. Yeah. Because I remember chemistry was just like super above me. I I just struggled in chemistry. Oh, chemistry. But I loved English. I know, but I loved English. Yeah. And Mrs. Boyle. Like, and she just struggled because there were so many, you know, misfits and (laughs) people didn't want to go there for education. And so it was a struggle for some of us to really knuckle down and have these conversations that our teachers were wanting. So what kind of sports were you into back then? Definitely baseball. I mean, I was just having this conversation with Arjun, my son. Um, like why he goes, what's your top 10 sports dad? And I'm like, top 10? There's only three. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like he was asking when I was growing up and I said, it was baseball, basketball, and football. And you can switch football and basketball, but baseball was always first. Yeah. Um, but that's all there was like soccer didn't exist in my world. Volleyball. Track? Track. Nope. Wrestling. My younger brother did wrestling, but I, I just, I, there was a three. I mean, it was all it was. It was like Jordan. And Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. We're talking the dream 80s, team. The dream team. Baseball was just ripe with all kinds of incredible players. And then you had all the football, you know, and it was just like so much excitement around mm-hmm. those three sports. And like nothing else existed. It took up all my time. Yeah, yeah nice. Um, so, yeah, I really, baseball was the best for me in terms of like my passion, the, the mental game of it. Like there's mm-hmm. so much into baseball that you have to really pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Or you can kind of get lost in some of the strategies your coaches are trying to do, what the point of the moment is. You yeah. know, we're trying to get an out here, not get that guy over there. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I love the the real strategies behind baseball and, of course, the skills that it's, it's necessary to do. And what position did you play? I played up the middle. Uh-huh. So I was really um, center field, pitcher, catcher, and shortstop. Those oh. were like the three, four that I gravitated towards and played most of my time. So when you think about yourself and your relationship that you that you try you know because you ultimately spoiler became a movement teacher (laughs) right you were teaching PE you were coaching what do you think about your high school sports experience what was what were some of the main gems that you carried with you based on that experience that you had later into your work with young people especially teenagers in sports yeah um how one is motivated yeah, I mean, there were different strategies, but back in the 80s and early 90s, there wasn't as much, um, what's the right way to say this? It's it's not that the coaches didn't care, but they didn't show much care. Mm, yeah. Oh, it's or you never, you never really saw it. Like, it wasn't like they wanted to get to know you. Yeah. Um, maybe that's because in certain sports, like football, there's more of you than, yeah. you know, than... Maybe a little more X's and O's focused yeah. than like drawing individual motivation out of yeah. each kid. I found that, that the players motivated each other more than the coaches did. I mean, yeah. we wanted to please our coaches and do what they were asking us to do, but often the coaches, 
didn't have that level of um, intimacy of like, I know you and I'm here to try to get you fired up right now. Mm -hmm. And I don't see what's going on where we, where we wanted this to go and not seeing it and how yeah. we can get that out of you. And Whereas that was a totally flipped oh, when I became a coach. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, like players couldn't do that with each other. No. And, and the social <laughs> motivation, the power of that, of playing for each other and drawing excellence out of your peers and how do you talk to your peers? How do yep. you inspire each other to show up and work harder together? And, yeah. and now I feel like there has been a push to where so much of that now is expected of the coach. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so like the gym for me was how, in how players can motivate each other and like the camaraderie that one's has, like giving each other nicknames and the jabs that we do mm -hmm. when you, you do a typical mistake yeah. Or that we rely on you to do something and then we praise you and love you for that yeah. because that's what you bring to the table. What was your baseball nickname? I was D-Dub. D-Dub! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just went out to the whole school. D-Dub! <laughs> yeah, I just became D-Dub. Oh, that's yeah, great. Yeah, because W. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, D-Dub. D-Dub. So, yeah. And, you know, we all had different, you know, some inappropriate nicknames and some <laughs> who didn't prefer to be given a nickname because <laughs> of the context. But, yeah, I love that. So, D-Dub. Nice, nice. And obviously you're, you were supported, you felt supported by your family and to do all that. And yeah, I mean, my mom never missed a game. She, she yeah. was one of those. Yeah. Like I didn't matter if I was two hours away on a mm -hmm. trip, like she would make it and would love to. And yeah. she would bring me snacks, you know, for after the game nice. and um, always asking me like questions and like praise and like, you know, sometimes, why, what, you know, why did the coach do that? Yeah. You know, and it wasn't like demeaning or like, what was that? That was a bad decision. It was more of like, she really was a, a student of the game mm -hmm. and she wasn't like, my mom was not an athlete and she didn't really know what was happening in a lot of these sports until her sons were playing them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say that like, I had so much support from my mom yeah. and my dad, we, my parents divorced and he was living in a different city. So he wasn't able to always make it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tons of support for my mom. I mean, mm -hmm. like to know that your mom's always, she wasn't the loudest one, you know, she wasn't, you know, John Rubottom out there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> giving a few words of encouragement, but you know, but she was there yeah. and, and she was always cheering. Yeah. So that was something that I cherish as a, I guess you could say it's a gem if you think about it. Like having that family support right. is huge. And we've seen that as coaches later yes. on when the parents aren't there yeah. and, mm -hmm. and in that sort of consistent pattern. Right. Yeah. So when you, you know, you're following your life as an athlete and for so many young people, that is the motivator of next year I'm going to start, next year I'm going to improve my record, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And at some point that athletic journey in high school comes to an end. How was... What did you ultimately end up deciding to do? Was there a moment of mourning where maybe you realized sports weren't going to, that maybe you weren't going to play in college? What was that process like for you? Yeah. So I had a dream as a youth, eight, I want to be a baseball player. There was no doubt in my mind. And um, one thing I had was those uh, like aluminum structure that had a, uh, a net with a strike zone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you would put that in your grass and you could throw a ball at it and it would bounce back to you. Um and so I had that. I remember just doing that like daily. Like mm -hmm. that was like, you know, 
my repetition of like, I'm going to throw it, give me some ground balls, try to <laughs> hit it so I can, you could adjust it so you could hit, like, it would give you fly balls yeah. or like, you know, balls right back at you. You've got like the Rocky training sequence yeah. in the back of your head <laughs> as you're throwing nice. the ball. Yeah, yeah we get our Walkmans on. <laughs> I probably have my Walkman on for sure. And my brother and I, so my older brother, um, Doug, he was uh, three years older than me and we would play um, wiffle ball. We would play tennis pitch on the side yard. So I was constantly playing baseball and I love football and I love basketball. And so I was always training and um, in high school, I just didn't grow. I was just five, six, five, seven and 130. And I eventually graduated 150 pounds. I was just not a big guy. And I couldn't really take over those, you know, limitations for myself physically. I could throw hard and I, ha I was a student of the game, but there was always people who were taller than me and um, you could throw harder than me. And, uh, and that's what happened is we have recruiters come to our games and um, I wasn't being recruited and I could tell I wasn't being recruited. And we, I was being told I wasn't being recruited because yeah. our coach would say, hey, you know, uh, Dave and Emmett or um, Dave and Curtis are being recruited. And so, hey, let's, you know, let's give our best out there. And, and you know, I just realized as I wasn't growing that, and I just wasn't being that person that was being looked at, that was going to be a tough hill to climb for sure if I wanted to continue that dream. And I, and I came to reality, and it was fine with me. You know, I loved the game, but I just didn't see that I had the, the drive to take it to the next level to really, you know, work my butt off to get to the next level in college and find a spot on a team um, to go there. So... Yeah, I just realized at the end of high school and senior year that I could maybe look to play college, but I didn't really think about college. It yeah. wasn't like a thought of mine to go to college. Uh -huh. It was it was more of a, if I did it, it would be to keep playing baseball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the when I look back and I think about, you know, where the trajectory was, nobody in my family went to college. So the whole expectation was just, you know, graduate high school and and go out and figure out what you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like what was on my table. It wasn't really like the, like go a little higher and think about oh you could go to college and how could we do how could we make that happen. I wasn't really um, pushed in that direction from my parents or the school I was going to. So what did you end up doing? So right out of high school, um, my best friend's dad's brothers son needed a baseball coach. Oh, nice. And so I just graduated high school. I was 17 years old. And he came to me. I can't remember his name. And he just said, hey, will you coach my son's baseball team? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Love baseball. Yeah. <laughs> How old were the this, this kids? Yeah. So this was 1992. And I, and I was looking back. I, I think they were eight and nine. Yeah. They were little. Yeah. They were little guys. But I was 17. I mean, it wasn't that like I was a big kid. Right. You know, like I just graduated high school. And it was not paid and it was like, you know, all, you know, a lot of practicing games and, and I was like, okay, I'll do it. And, um, loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Absolutely. Just found, um, a calling really. I mean, if you think about like, I didn't know what I was doing, you yeah. know, and I was in that spot of just like, I didn't have a job and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And, and I found what I wanted to do. Wow. I wanted to work with kids and the kids really like listened and wanted to 
like learn and play and had so much fun. And we won all of our games. Nice. And this that feels the, pretty good. It, it felt really good. It was like, <laughs> it just kept rolling. It was like, and you've seen that as a player, as a coach, when things just build yeah. and just keep getting better. And this is what was happening. These yeah. guys just kept like thriving and like learning and like, and doing things that I just didn't see happening. Cause I just never been in that boat. Yeah. I'd never been in that position to watch people grow. It's mm-hmm. always like I'm a player. Yeah. And yeah, so that really got me into, you know, that I really wanted to work with kids and that sports and athletics was sort of like what I really enjoyed doing. Nice. Can you just kind of trace for us then the path from that realization to then what kind of steps you took to ultimately get into the classroom? Yeah. So um, after that, you know, I didn't get another coaching gig. It wasn't like, you know, I was being recruited. So uh, <laughs> um, reality set in. I got a job. I was doing house painting. I paid the bills, left the house, worked on all that. And then after about a year and a half, I realized I've done doing this. And that I had talked to a lot of friends who had been going to college from high school. And I was like, I'm going to do the college thing. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what to do with like the first step and like how this all works. But um, I stepped into it. And so I went to community college, uh, American River College in Sacramento. I was living in Davis, California. And so did night school, worked during the days, did that for another year and a half and got a lot of classes done and just loved the classroom. I just couldn't believe it. Like I, it was, I'm on your own. When you're on your own for the first time and we can all relate to this now that we're adults, it was like, well, back then, I don't know what it's like for maybe your generation because you guys came a little after me, but there was really just no support or I didn't know how to find support. Yeah, right. It was like a student support, uh, like, you know, like, I don't know if it was a desk or center. Like, I didn't even know where it was on the campus for a long time. <laughs> yeah. And I remember having like a counselor that would help me like what classes I was supposed to take. But it was like, there was like no connection there, like who I was. Mm-hmm. And like, I really kind of. Like, should you be taking these classes? Yeah, yeah. And like, do you even know who I am? Like, yeah. did you hear I wanna, what I want to do? And so I found that that was a really hard like road to like really understand the process Mm -hmm. because I think nowadays kids really see that there's a lot of support in high school and afterwards about how to navigate your services and like looking it up and knowing what they can be. And parents, I think a little bit more tuned in as well. And I just didn't have that. And I remember just like, am I doing the right thing? Am I taking the right class? So what classes did you take then? It was like all these like prerequisites, uh-huh. you know, like you, you know, you test into math and you take a math course, mm-hmm. the next level okay. math. So gotcha. I was taking like algebra two trig. Right. And I remember taking uh, like an English, like learning how to like, uh, like essays and mm-hmm. writing yeah. uh-huh. uh, to see where you are with writing. And then, you know, it's all this stuff that like, like I was really good at, but like it was all on a computer. Uh-huh. And like, so like you, like if you did something on a typewriter, it was just like, you're just a thing of the past, bud. Like, yeah. Yeah. like I grew up. <laughs> so you had typewriters in high school. You're like, here's yeah. my slab of stone, sir. <laughs> Please accept my yeah, abacus. Here's my handwritten essay. <laughs> so yeah, like everything was done when it was done well for a class. And it would be like in the syllabus, like you'd typewrite it. Like, so it was all typewritten and you'd be on a typewriter and like, I didn't even know if we had computers at school, in high school. Like, I never knew they existed. I don't know if they were even there. And everything was in a typewriter. 
And then you get to college and like about, you know, basically two years later, I'm like, what? Like, yeah, floppy disk. Mm-hmm. Like I got to save it. Like, and I'm on no one, not my computer. I'm on like the school's computer. So I'm trying to navigate that entire world of like not being taught how to be on a computer, yeah. but like everything's on a computer now. Yeah. Wow. So that was like a crash course 101 of like how to navigate that world. Um, but yeah, I, I got through it. You know, the thing is, is I was, I knuckled down. Yeah. I would spend nights and really plug away because I was working during the day and then going to school at night and working weekends on school and loving it. Honestly, yeah. in the end, when I look back, how much I grinded was amazing because I loved it. I love learning. I still do. And that journey was just really challenging because there was just really like a manual. Like mm-hmm. I think there is now more so about like how to get financial aid and, and, and all the steps about who to go to for this and that. And just what the preparations are about yeah. how to work on a computer. Like mm-hmm. I think we now really, obviously with the media and the technology we have nowadays for children, um, to navigate how to learn into it is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so uh, I think I is a long-winded answer to a question of how I got an education. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I met up with my best friend from high school who d- struggled in his first years of college, came back to Davis, and then we both decided we would go together, live together in Northern California where we went to school and go to Humboldt State. And that is a California State University in uh, Northern California in Arcata. And so we went, went up there and moved in together. I finished my AA, transferred to Humboldt State and studied kinesiology, which is the study of human movement. And I, one of the th- reasons why I wanted to follow uh, my friend Tyson and go there was because they had a, an amazing teacher credential program that I knew I would want to enter into after I finished my kinesiology degree. Oh, nice. And then... Um, so I graduated in 01, and then I did the teacher credential program, and then just learned. That was my public school license in California. Yeah. And um, and then that's when you get immersed into a school. So I was coaching football. Bef- so I met a, a guy, Nate Beckstead, in college, and he was a big football guy, and he was like, hey, come coach some football with me. Oh, wow. I was like, okay. And um, so we went to Eureka High School, and I coached their, their JV team for a couple of years. And then I was coaching their JV baseball team. Nice. At the so I did that in the fall and did the uh, baseball in the spring. And I was just like really getting totally immersed into this big high school yeah. and into the scene of like coaching, uh, you know, young men. Because mm. these guys were all 13, 14, all the way up to 18. And um, I was just like, this is my, this is my gig. I, yeah. love, I love this. Uh-huh. This is amazing. So I was teaching PE classes and coaching sports and just getting myself immersed in this um, school. And then I got a job offer to go to Morocco. Oh. And yeah. And so that was like a whole another story. But Before you go there, is there a difference from coaching versus teaching that is there, you know, how does that compare? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Because teaching, you have all facets of a community in front of you. So you have all these children and they can come from all the backgrounds imaginable. Like I would rather always read a book and be in my room or I would rather be on a mountain skiing Mm -hmm. or, you know, I love what you're going to, whatever you bring, Mr. Wendland. It doesn't matter what it is. And then you've got all the flavors of confidence that come with that. And when you're coaching, 
while you might have a wide variety of backgrounds coming towards you, there is one common goal. They want to be there. Yeah. And they want to learn how to play the sport and be a team and, and, mm-hmm. and, and be successful. And I also almost feel like because there is this opting in, you have a little bit more push. You have a little bit more give as a coach mm-hmm. as far as setting expectations, holding people accountable. Yeah. Whereas as a, you know, as a movement teacher, you know, you 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 are receiving everyone, right? You're receiving yeah. everyone who spends all their time trying to forget the fact that they have legs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and you you have to um I almost feel like teaching is maybe more of a nurturing impulse and then coaching is a little bit more of a I mean I guess it's still nurturing I don't know how to say it I'm, I'm trying to yeah, like yeah I know what you mean there's there's a there's a more of a push yes like you're not sort of like being more patient yes like I I have a I wouldn't call it a shorter fuse but I would call it more of like I'm demanding this now and there's no like wiggle room here right yeah whereas when you're in a I think in my movement, I'm like, I allow for growth to happen on their terms. Yes. I'm not going to be a little bit more patient if they take up the endeavor of, hey, let's be in our bodies right now. Or, hey, let's try this. Yes. Uh-huh. Whereas in, in, in team sports, if, you know, if you don't want to do it, well, you know, there might be, might be, maybe not always <laughs> in our school, a guy right there on the bench will take your spot. Yeah. Right. If you don't yeah. want to willing to do the work. They're like much more competitive. So there's yeah. a little bit more drive and, and. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing, right? Yes. Because in a, in a movement class with me, I'm really hoping that you want to participate, that I'm not calling you to do it, right. but the expectation is there and that, yeah, I think a lot of students always, I got an A, I want to get an A, I want to get it, you know, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. I have that like as a drive for them, but there's also the joy of moving. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I feel like that shouldn't have to be coaxed from them. Yes. Right. The but stakes are very low. The stakes are very low. And they just get to, I mean, I remember even, as someone who loved athletics and that drive and precision and that, that kind of the game would start and you had to bring your best. Yep. And then I loved movement class because I just got to move for fun yeah. too. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, Oh, it, it doesn't matter how fast I run. The only person I have to be accountable to is myself and my own growth. You know, I'm not going right. to leave right. a teammate hanging if I don't, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, hustle. I yeah. can just jog and it's great. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're working with the students in the, in Davis in the public school and. Oh, this was Eureka. And Eureka, sorry. And Eureka. And then, so how did you come to Waldorf education then? Yeah. So, um, my first wife, she was a fiance at the time. Uh, I got a job offer from the assistant principal to do a PE teaching and athletic director in Ifran, Morocco. And this is, uh, the spring of 2002. And I was pretty flabbergasted by the request. Um, and, and Kate and I, at the time we looked at it, you know, kind of talked about it, met with him and decided we could do it. So we're in Morocco. It's year two. Kate is teaching first grade, and one of her moms of her students was a recent graduate of Southwestern College. And so that was like the opening into like, oh, well, you're going to leave Morocco and come back to the States. And I was loving Morocco at the Uh time. I mean, like the whole international teaching scene is an incredible like opportunity. It's amazing. And I hope anybody who thinks that that might be a possibility is just go for it. My... Yeah, like I would totally say go for it because I don't know if you would want to worry about regret. It's just more of like traveling the world and being with other cultures is just amazing. Uh And 
something I think everyone should have the opportunity to try. And that was the first time you, I mean, it was with Kate that you found Waldorf education or heard yeah, about it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, okay. So, yeah, we should go back. Yeah, we probably <laughs> go back a few steps. So I met Kate, my first wife, in a philosophy of sex and love class in college. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And um, that was senior year, and she sat next to me, and I thought she was the most beautiful person. And she was super excited for this class. And she was so scholarly, she would read all these texts that we were reading about, you know, all these um, excerpts and poems and stories and writings about sex and love. And she would just have every, like, annotation, question, answer, thought about today's, you know, lesson. And I was just, like, mesmerized that, well, one, she was beautiful, but two, she just knew the material. And I was like, this is like chemistry again, and, you know, <laughs> in high school. I'm like, how did you glean all that from mm -hmm. that writing? And um, and she liked my banter. I would definitely crack a few jokes and um, talk to her. And, and, and she was a Waldorf student. And so she went to Southern San Francisco Waldorf School from first to eighth grade. Nice. And her mother was a Waldorf teacher, yeah. Karen Latimer. And, um, and so I met Kate, I asked her out, we started dating and then I learned about Waldorf education cause it would always come up. Uh -huh. It's, it's fascinating. And I was like, not knowing a lick of Waldorf mm -hmm. education before I didn't even never, I'm not sure if you even heard the word Waldorf. Right. And so I learned a lot about her upbringing in a Waldorf school. And then I would meet her mom and her mom was just a Waldorf teacher and would say that I would be a wonderful PE Waldorf teacher and I should do it and try it. And, and Kate was like, yeah, you'd be great at it, Daniel. You have the right temperament and you're just so good with children. And I was like, okay, okay. You're like, all right. You know, did you get to see any of the, of Kate's Waldorf things? In, oh yeah. So the first time I went to her home for the holidays, um, she has this, uh, built in, she's a 1940s, you know, World War II era home in San Francisco and there would be like this wall cabinet and the bottom drawer was like three feet wide and two feet tall and two two or three feet deep yeah and it was like you know like this creaky drawer coming out you know it's just massive and full of all of Kate's like curriculum that she learned in uh, Waldorf education and it was all these main lesson books like from first to eighth she saved everything everything all the art handwork projects it was just everything in this one drawer nice and so yeah i mean karen would just be like loving it because i'm like no clue what's going on in waldorf education and kate like looking through all these main lesson books and just telling me all about it because it was like revisiting mm -hmm. something that she did yesterday yeah. yeah and so i learned all this like like because like you know a picture's a thousand words mm -hmm. like looking yeah. at somebody's bound you know it was like in a you know, uh, you know, like a yarn, you know, yeah, bound, bound books, <laughs> yeah, yeah, bound books, and these beautiful. And Kate was this beautiful artist, yeah. And you can just see her just like open up when the book opened up. She did too, yeah. Of like these lessons and her teachers and the experiences that she had. So that was kind of like my really not just eye opening, but like I really found it through two people. One yeah. an educator. And one who lived it as a child. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing to talk, talking with 
people who went to a Waldorf school about their experience, it it it's there in your body, yeah. right? Like yeah. those. <laughs> yeah, literally. I mean, mm-hmm. I have one of my best friends, Allison. The number of times she just sends me voice memos of little snippets of songs from first or second grade, and she'll say, "What's the next word?" And you know, I'll just get this little. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, but it's all just there, and it 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 um. It's like a, a, a deep well, you know, a, a deep mm. well of experience that while it may not come out always in your daily life, it's really easy to dip back into that water, yeah. right? Yeah. And just be right back there right. in it. Right. Do you guys have drawers? Ooh. I do. I do, actually. Oh, well, I've it's got, a shelf. <laughs> I've got boxes and drawers and shelves. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was just when I realized I was going to become a high school teacher, the first thing I did was go to my main lesson books. Yeah, me too. Right? High school main lesson books. I had all my notes from class, including, you know, the the notes I was writing with whoever was sitting next to me of like, oh my gosh, can you believe they said that, you know? (laughs) And um, yeah, so it's it's an amazing record that you never know. You never know when you might need it someday. Right, exactly. All right, but back to you. So you, you... you're with Kate and you've heard about Waldorf education and you're in Morocco and, okay. and she has this student whose mom had graduated from Southwestern That's right. College. Okay. And also, Southwestern College is in Santa, Fe. Santa, in Santa Fe, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's a counseling uh, master's program on the South side over by the country club off of airport road. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so she decides that she wants to leave Morocco and um, go into this counseling program. And I'm like, okay, uh, let's do it. And she's a female in a Muslim country. And after the second year of being in Morocco, the limitations of being a female f- for Kate was a- really hard. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, we were harassed at times and it felt at times unsafe. And you got to remember that this is in 2003, we invaded Iraq. Yeah. yeah. We being the United States of America. Yeah. It was, it was being, a tenuous time. It was very tenuous. Being blonde and blue eyed and She's, you know, brunette and beautiful eyes that were light. It, you know, we were a threat or mm-hmm. seen as a threat or yeah. how to take out anger. Yeah. And so there were a few times that it didn't feel safe to be in Morocco, even though the, I mean, beautiful country, beautiful people. Yeah. Everything about it was just incredibly awesome. But, but. at the time that we were there, it was not always conducive to be, uh, to be out in public, mm-hmm. especially after 2003. So, um, we decided together that I would follow her and come to Santa Fe, and um, she got accepted when we came. And I kicked myself to this day that I didn't visit the Waldorf campus to even look to see if there was a Santa Fe Waldorf school. Um, we came for a quick trip, and then as we left, and I got back home, and she got accepted afterwards. I was like, oh, we're going to go to Santa Fe. Wow, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Wow, this is... And before I even came to Santa Fe... It was like this, like conjuring images of like if from Morocco, which is like yeah. desert and like you know <laughs> flat, mm-hmm. right, and like right. I, I really didn't think it was what it was, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And I got here and I was like, oh my gosh, this place is in, like not at all what I thought. Yeah. And then I looked up that there was a Santa Fe Waldorf school and that they were hiring for a movement teacher from grade six through twelve. Oh wow. And then yeah, applied got hired, and one of the stipulations that it was, it was to be an athletic director. And uh-huh. there was no sports program at the time. Yeah. So you developed that from scratch. Yeah, that was one of the big like interview points. It was like, can I, what are your qualifications, and so forth. And um, 
I was up for the task. You know, I had been an athletic director in Ifron, and and it was a very different experience yeah. being in a private school with a bunch of uh, Moroccan kids that, you know, had athletics, but it was not as organized as we see it here in America. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a hard being an athletic director. But I had mm -hmm. the experience of doing that and being in control and, mm -hmm. and being a leader of a program. Um, but yeah, so that was like teaching grades six through 12 and be athletic director. Mm -hmm. So now I really want to shift into hearing just about the, the expertise, the knowledge, the background that you have, because I mean, you ultimately worked what? 20 years almost uh, 19, 19 years in a Waldorf school, not only, you know, doing a movement program, but mentoring, movement teachers as they came in, working in the younger grades, you know, holding a sports program in a Waldorf school, finding, you know, trying to figure out how to bring all the curriculum impulses in Waldorf education to movement, not only yeah. in the classroom, but also in organized sports where you're playing other schools. And there is this kind of different why behind <laughs> the existence of sports. So could you start maybe by giving us a little overview characterizing movement in the Waldorf school. Like what, what characterizes the movement curriculum in a Waldorf school? Yeah. So when I came to the school in 2004, I didn't really know the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you ask five different people at a school, they might have five different answers of mm -hmm. what that looks like. Hmm. And may even say that it needs to have spatial dynamics, but may not understand what that actually is. Yes. Um, and I think, and where I really came into this, like, huh, kind of like, really that what, what Waldorf does is there was no sports. Mm -hmm. Like you don't even introduce a ball before sixth grade. Yeah. Like I was like, huh? Like, what do you mean? Like, but like, yeah. that wasn't my upbringing. Yeah. And like, that, that's not what other educations are doing. And so like that really blew my mind and I had to wrap my head around Okay, so what am I? Okay, I'm, I'm teaching sixth grade. Okay, I can bring a ball. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm all right there. Yeah. But, you know, there was this, like, what is Waldorf movement um, is a journey. So um, what I knew is journey for me as a teacher yeah. and also a journey for the students. Because what I came in with was a public school background. Yeah. About what I thought would be an appropriate movement program. And so what... Coming from maybe a more traditional education, like in the public school, would you maybe how would you characterize the progression of movement? Is it like a building on skills, maybe or in how? Of education? No, in, in in the public school background, oh, like, like in your I, training. I, in my training, um, you know, so um, okay, let me back up. So one of the big things I got from my teacher credential program was how to be a teacher. Yeah, it was actually none of the material. Mm -hmm. Like that was a whole thing. No doubt about it. Like, right, you right. know, what's your objectives and all that. But, like, it was how to teach. Yeah. Like, I got, I had two mentors at the school I was working at, one female, one male. I had this, uh, whatever he was called, like the student teacher, you know, person. Um, I can't remember his, his uh, title. And he would watch me. And then we would go through all these, like, you know, what happened and what I did. And it was like all the nuts and bolts. And then, like, the lesson and how I brought the lesson. And it was almost always about how I taught. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, what I really remember from my teacher credential program was how to be a teacher. 
Mm-hmm. And like, I, like in all the X's and O's, so to speak, of like how to be a teacher with what you're doing with actually the, the children was sort of like, yeah, you could probably do that. Yeah. Yeah, you could probably, you probably got that. Yeah, you might want to be more time efficient and you know, spend mm-hmm. less time doing this and that and some of those nuts and bolts. But it was like relationships mm-hmm. and like, and I was like pretty good with them. Yeah. And he thought that like, I, you know, hey, you didn't really see those students over there, you know, doing that. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. you're right. And this is classes of over 30, by yeah. the way, you know, in PE. So teacherly presence. Yeah, teacherly presence. Um, like, how do I work with patients? How do I work with misbehavior? How to um, inspire? Yeah. You know, like, what do I bring? You know, what kind of joy do I bring to the, to the lessons? And what do I expect? Like, how do I communicate? And how long do I communicate? And it was like all this stuff about how the lesson is brought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, oh. That was like so juicy to me. Yeah. And I, I remember preparing for my lessons uh, back then and it was just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Be very succinct here and let's see what they do. Hmm. And there was a lot of that for me of um, what I brought into my Waldorf movement program. Yeah. Yeah. And which was like so Waldorf appropriate, right? Yes, like, totally. <laughs> like how I meet the children and hmm. who's before me and then adapting lessons based on what's there, right? And how they are working with with that moment. Um, I think I lost your question. Am I answering it? No, you, you totally are. I, I think, you know, and, and again, this is so impossible. Like in our Matthew and I interviewed each other and we asked each other at the end of our interviews, how would you describe Waldorf education? And we're both kind of like, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but you know, I think that there, you know, I'm curious about like, obviously, you know, you're coming in sixth through twelfth grade. I'm sure there is a, a a sports component, right? If I'm bringing different games, I'm teaching them the rules. I'm mm-hmm. watching them play. But I think maybe my question is, well, then where's the Waldorf in that, yeah. right? And and then for you as a new teacher coming in, what were the resources you had or sought, right? Yeah. Because a lot of times, in in just the operation of a school, a new teacher comes in and and the expectation is that they're kind of just going to fit in and figure it out. Yeah. But for you, where did where did the quote Waldorf come into your teaching, and how did that shift, maybe what you were bringing, or how you were bringing it, or did it shift at all? Yeah. Well, immediately. I mean, for me, it was like this: like, where am I? Yeah. Because there were so many things that were different, like on so many levels. Right. I mean, just the the campus itself is so beautiful. Like I had come from like buildings yeah. and hallways and like, you know, not a lot of nature. So this like real appreciation for the environment that I was in was like this whole like and I was teaching outside almost primarily. So yeah. I was always outside in this beautiful New Mexico sun. And then you have this like r- relationship to the teacher. Like mm-hmm. I would shake teachers' hands as I was welcomed into the classroom in the middle school. And I didn't really and I was didn't know what that like, okay. And these are like, you know, teenagers. Like mm-hmm. are they gonna really like are they okay with that? You know? Yeah. But they were and they were really attentive. And then there's just like this like slowly unfolding what wall of education is. Right. So Within like a month of school, you know, there's Michaelmas. Yeah. Right? I mean, first of all, we start with a rose ceremony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was just like, we welcome the whole school 
And, you know, it was the first year that we had seniors. Oh, wow. Like that was so the high school had just moved on to campus the year I got there. Wow. So the high school was brand new. We have a brand new ninth through 12th grade. We have four seniors. And, you know, we had like a whole connection from pre-K to 12th grade. And I got there at that time. So, like, you have ceremonies and festivals, yeah. and that really opened my eyes to things that were not a part of my life at all at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, really being awake to the seasons, yes. I was a gardener, and I was definitely – no, let me get me wrong. I wasn't, a, I wasn't awake. It was more of, like, awake with children with the seasons, mm-hmm. and these festivals just kind of, like, woke me up to the world. Yeah. Right. So, like, as the whole year unfolded, you hear about, oh, there's Advent? Like, what's yeah. Advent? Yeah. You know, that, that wasn't really a part of my upbringing, nor do I even know what that word meant. Right. And there was so much, you know, behind that. So, like, for me, what, when Waldorf Education, what it meant for me was just, like, taking the time to learn it. Yeah. Because yeah. it was unfolding in front of me. But also, I had the opportunity as a teacher to see it in the children because you could have Advent for, you know, various grades and see what that looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, how that's held for a kindergartner versus a third grader. Right. Or Michaelmas and how the sixth graders are to be in the dragon mm-hmm. and the and then the seniors really are con- holding the dragon, right. taming yeah. the dragon. Right. And like, wow, like oh, what all that symbolism is there. Yeah. And then yeah. all the other ones that are all involved. Yeah, there's a lot of symbolism. A lot of symbolism. And there was so much to me that was just like, I'm just taking it all in. Yeah. And just, yeah, you're just a sponge. I'm just a sponge. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like, you know, you had the teacherly presence and, you know, how to do lesson plans and how to hold a class from your um, from your public school, you know, teacher certification program. But then, as with Waldorf, I would say that there's so much depth then to what to bring to the students. And and mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about then your preparation as a, you know, with, with spatial dynamics? I'm yeah. Thinking about. So my first two years, um, so I started in 2004 and I didn't start spatial dynamics until 2006 mm-hmm. in, the, in the fall. So for those first two years, it was pretty free. Yeah. It wasn't really telling me, tell me, hey, you got to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember, and I may have been given something on maybe spatial dynamics or the proper, I think I probably was given something and that's where I probably gleaned it. But it seems like to me such a distant memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there wasn't really like a mentor that really took me on and mm-hmm. said, you should be bringing some of these lessons as you know you feel uh, qualified for. And I remember just kind of like, archery? I'm gonna teach archery? Yeah. Okay, that sounds cool. And we had a teacher, uh, Peter Gogley. He was like, "You got to teach cricket in the in the in the whole school. Don't worry about what grade. It is. Oh, they all love cricket." I'm like, "Cricket? Like, really? What's cricket?" <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know of it, but like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't even know how it's played. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, <laughs> the whole like trajectory of like what was possible just totally got opened up to like a 360 panoramic view. Right. Like anything was really possible. Right. Because. Like the spectrum of like opening up cultures yeah. into the classroom yeah. was like a new thing for me. Also, just sort of like what is possible to work with children. Right. And I had the like fortune, like I said earlier, of being able to work with a ball. So like I didn't have to like make up stuff I didn't know. Yeah. And figure out how am I gonna work with fifth graders without a ball? Like what do we what else do we do? Right. Anyway, right. I knew there were things like tag and other stuff, but 
there was like a lot behind that I didn't know. Uh-huh. It was like so foreign. Mm-hmm. And I remember being given games children play. Yeah. I think it's, I can't remember the authors. It Kim John Payne or I, well, it's a pretty we can look simple yeah, we'll movement get teacher, uh, you know, curriculum. And I was like, oh, wow, blindfold games. Okay. And then, oh, there's a pentathlon? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. Because I didn't teach the pentathlon that year. Um, I did that the following year. And then, so I was looking at all this, just going, wow, this is really interesting. And then, you know, people would tell me things. And um, Thomas and Jenny Bowen, who were special dynamic graduates who were working at the school at the time, um, would tell me some things, but not really like really sit me down and tell me what I should be doing. It was mm-hmm. just more of like, this is what you could do. And so I had a lot of free freedom to do what I would like. And I kind of developed a little of a curriculum that was sort of through the curricular, you know, materials that I had without a lot of understanding of how to do it. Yeah. But also my background too. And it was pretty well received to go play ultimate Frisbee or soccer or yeah, basketball. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And then in my 2005, 2006 um, school year, the school came to me after my intention that if I wanted to continue on the next year, I had to start the spatial dynamics program. And that is the movement teacher training for Waldorf educators. Right. And at the time, I had heard about spatial dynamics, and I heard about this man, Jamie McMillan, and how wonderful he is. But I didn't really understand what that entailed. Yeah. Um, but I heard it was a rigorous program, and um, that I and I was being told I had to take it. Yeah. I was like, okay, I like learning. Yeah. I like education. Let's go for it. Right. And what was kind of a drawback is like, yeah, and we're not going to pay you anything to go take this training. I was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay. So I got to figure this out on a pretty measly salary totally. at the time and take this training that right. was going to be a pretty huge commitment. Right. But I was in. I was in. And so that started in the fall of 2006. So what was your impression of spatial dynamics? Walk us through maybe your, your were you in Mechanicville? Uh, well, that that's in the summer. Oh, okay. So I was West Coast. So, so you this were is in... considered West Coast, you know, we're yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in New Mexico. So and that was before the Austin training. Yeah, started. Yeah. So um, there were two groups who meet at the same uh, around the same time. West Coast met in Boring, Oregon. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, <laughs> at Camp Kurotli, I think it was the name. Okay. <laughs> and which is usually like fifty three degrees and raining, mm-hmm. pretty much like all the time. <laughs> and then uh, in the summer we go to Mechanicville, which is the home base for for spatial dynamics. So, yeah, so I signed up for the training and you fly out to Portland and then um, come out to this camp. And, you know, it was, I think there were 40 plus people in this, in this training. Right. And they were big. Yeah. And I didn't really like go into it doing a lot of research. I think at that time, a few people have told me about the training. Some people have taken it, but not finished it. Yeah. And then some people who in the school had finished it. And told me how wonderful it was. And then, you know, you get some curricular materials from Spatial Dynamics about, you know, some logistics and a little bit about it. I'm like, okay, all right. And so, yeah, it was a, it's a um, three days and like, um, yeah, about three and a half days to be exact training in the, in the fall in the spring, and then like 10 days in the summer. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how you do it. And it took like, it was like a five-year. It was five program. years. Yeah. 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 So I started in It's an in extensive training. Yeah. And I did, uh, I was IS-9 and graduated in 2011. So there's 40 plus people. I mean, people from all backgrounds. Nice. I mean, you've got like parents who were in their like 50s and 60s yeah. who are just sort of taking the training. Yeah. And they're not really in it for the education of, I'm going to bring this to youth or other people. Right. 
Yeah. It's more of maybe for them. Yes. Or a curiosity. A lot of people who do body work are drawn to spatial dynamics yeah. just because it's kind of another like rolfers or mm-hmm. um, people who do curative movement. I mean, it, it really yeah. casts such a wide net of yeah. bringing people together. And then what's so fascinating then is you have all these just curious beings who want to move yeah. and maybe get to know their own body better. And then there's the yeah. Daniels who are like, Hey, so what am what am I teaching to I seventh got, graders? I, 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm going to teach uh, next week when I get back. Yeah, yeah. it's it's <laughs> it's a fascinating mix. Yeah. But movement is so important. We had a guest talking about movement in her kindergarten training to teach you know kindergarten students how to move. And yeah, no, it's it is, and and I think you know you're doing such a good job of taking a stab at putting words to it because it is really hard. It's so important crosses over into what class teachers do in their work even you know on some level crosses over to what high school academic teachers do in their work those early movement foundations if they are not there are felt in you know perhaps more cognitive gaps later on so so then talk to us a little bit about what did you do what was that training like so yeah to put it into words is hard as often, I think, when we look at certain subjects, like, where do you start? So, um, you know, I was looking at my notes because mm-hmm. I was preparing for this because it's been 12 years since I graduated. And, you know, when I was looking at my notes, one of the things that caught my eye was what was written then. Mm-hmm. And I know from people who graduated earlier to me, they what they learned may have transformed maybe been interpreted differently by people along the way. And so I I was wondering if this has changed for Jamin, but I saw this thing and it said the science of the will. Nice. It could be a way to describe spatial dynamics. And when I was thinking of science, it's like, okay, so your study and research through theory and, um, you know, like study of like, you know, hypothesis and all this, like, okay, so then, and then have evidence that backs it up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, of the will. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is so what we are working with in movement yeah. with youth. And no matter what the age, it's like that will, yeah. those will forces. And they come in different ways through the years, as we know, in Wall of Education. Yeah, describe what you mean by a will force or a student without a strong will force. Yeah, is one who's not in their limbs, who's right. not in their body, who can't cross their midline, who can't, doesn't want to move into their forward space. Yeah. Who's always kind of back mm. and that's their gesture or holds their body in a way that just sort of protects mm-hmm. or looks like there's trauma there mm-hmm. in their body. And so, yeah, there's this like that science of the will. I was like, okay, I don't remember that phrase, <laughs> but it's a really inviting term to like, oh, let's look at that. Yeah. Like how do we build on one's will forces? Yeah. I see that in my own children, like, you know, where will forces are lacking or are there. And then as educators, we see that with this whole spectrum, when you go from two kids, for my kids, to like having a class of 20 yeah. right? and right. seeing what it looks like in a seventh grader who's going through puberty and mm-hmm. adolescence and does not want to engage their limbs yeah. or really be in their body and to be able to be asked to do something with intention. Mm. Yeah. So to do something, so often I think it's kind of seen as being lazy, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's it's more than that. It's like, do you hold your shoulders like hunched over or are you thinking of your posture, right? I mean, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, it's not just, I mean, will your will forces are like your ability to 
do something in the world, like nail a hammer, nail a nail <laughs> with yeah. a hammer or, or, um, to execute, to execute in yeah. some way. Yeah. You know, to take it a step further, you know, one thing that spatial dynamics did not do is teach you how to teach. Mm. Yeah. It was not about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were snippets here and there when teachers who were in the room or maybe other educators would ask, how would you do this? How would you bring this? Yeah. yeah. It was never a breakdown like I had in public school teacher right. credential yeah. program. Right. It was not like this nuts and bolts of your lesson. Here's how you want to bring it. There were some moments of how to bring it, but in general themes. Yeah. You know, like how to do that, you know, but not tell you how to do it. But right. this is in a suggestion. Right. But what spatial dynamics did for somebody like me walking in is how am I in my body? Yes. How am I in my movement? And that is going to be the impulse for the children. Right. Like how I am and how I move and how I move with my space Mm -hmm. will be an image. It will be a picture. It will be the symbolism of what I am asking of them. Yeah. So we had these things that a lot of us would call Jaminisms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know, a, a phrase would come out or a thought or a sentence or a statement. And we were like, oh, we got to write that one down. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. You know, <laughs> put a little asterisk next to it. Yeah, for later. Yeah. <laughs> like, OK, that's a nugget. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah, yeah. That's it right there. And one of them was the space moves first and the body follows. Did you ever get a chance to talk to Jamin about flying? No. In an airplane? So no, I don't know this. (laughs) So one of my favorite things, so little background, I lived right next to the Austin Waldorf school. And once Jamin started doing trainings in Austin, he would live in my family's home. So Jamin was a a close friend of the family. And he talked about, and both my parents ended up doing spatial dynamics training with him. And he talked about when flying that, because you are moving so quickly in an airplane, your space gets left behind unless you are extremely conscious of bringing your space with you. And he would talk about just kind of the, and I, I may be, I mean, I was a child when I remember him talking about this, but I feel like he described, you know, a moment before stepping on the plane of, of really gathering himself and, and kind of almost holding it more tightly to him. Yeah. So that then it came with him. And when he didn't, then he would talk about jet lag. And, and Jamin was flying from China to, oh, he, he was flying all over the world. And he would talk about how he wasn't jet lagged because he was very conscious of, oh, wow. of this, of this space coming yeah. with him. And that yeah. to me was all, when you said Jaminisms, that was the first thing that popped yeah. into my head of just this idea of this space that is you that extends beyond your physical body. Yep. And that's, that's it in a nutshell, the human interplay between the human being and their space. Nice. And then in, to take it a step further, relationship to other people's space. Yeah. And to navigate that. Hmm. Yeah. And so, so spatial dynamics took it to a place where you were like, you're no longer in your body, but we want you in your body, but we want you to be in and out at the same time. Yeah. We want you to be there while you're here. Right. And that is with everything. So to, for one person to go forward, you also go backward. You're in your backspace while you're going forward. You are there when you're throwing a ball to somebody, 
because you've extended yourself and your space in there before you've even gone there. Yeah. And those are the connections that spatial dynamics gave me that was like, huh, wow. So that's what great athletes do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they're able to look so beautiful while doing it is because they know instinctively without being told by Jamin or anybody else that I'm already there when I'm dunking the ball. It's so or I'm throwing a strike 90 miles an hour. I was in the catcher's mitt yeah. before I threw the ball. I used to tell my players to, to flirt with the basket. That like, you know, when you walk into a room and there's an attractive person, you're always aware of where they are. Like the basketball is a beautiful person who, who you want to flirt with, right? So you are, they're always there. You're always, you know, giving them a little side eye, mm-hmm. checking to make sure they're still where you left them. And then by the time you actually want to shoot, you're there. Yeah. You know, so much of your consciousness is there. Yep. And uh, yeah. Yeah, And I think for you, probably as an athlete, I imagine, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there might have been maybe words put to things that you, through experience, had felt to be true. Yeah, but not as a teacher. I think through my own learning of how to do things. Yeah. uh, was Uh like this, like how you navigated those like skills. Yeah. But as a teacher, it was never really about how to get them better at it. Yes. Yes. Like, which is sort of what spatial dynamics kind of did, right? It was like, you enable a person to learn by understanding where they are in their space. Oh, gotcha. And by doing that, the things that they're looking to learn will come more readily Hmm. because you are more present with your own space and relationship to others, and how you navigate how one chooses their space, Mm. right? We all have a choice of how we sit. We all have a choice of how we walk or how we react to something. Do we kind of like hear news and wear it, so Mm. to speak? Mm. And how we choose our space also exemplifies who we are, right? Because how we look is a gesture in itself. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, this, like, and that's why we always say that children always know what's going on with teachers. <laughs> right. Because we are wearing our space. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. It's, and it's visible. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jamin did so beautifully. And Jamin is such an incredible person. You've met, you, he yeah, came I to our been. school. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamin is just, I mean, I can just sing his praises, right? I mean, yeah. he is so dynamic. And even as an older gentleman, yeah, right? I mean, he was on, and he's in his elder years when I went, and he's still going. I just took a training with him over the summer. Oh, cool. And um, he is just so dynamic with his delivery and with the way he really understands his material and how he can deliver it so beautifully. Yeah. And yeah. bringing in other professionals and having so much thought brought into it. Right. Which, into movement. Like, really, we can really... Think this heavily enough movement? Yeah. Like, yeah, we can. Yeah, nice. And it totally blew me out of my waters. Like, right, I mean, to like really be somewhere else when I'm here, like, you know, yeah. we had some conversations yeah. as you know, educators, because there was a lot of us who were in there that were PE teachers yeah. and Waldorf Movement educators. And we were just kind of like, yeah, wow, this is pretty cool stuff. <laughs> you yeah. Because nice. yeah. like many of us didn't have that background mm-hmm. of being in a lot of anthroposophy or have been in a Waldorf school for very long. We were, a lot of us were really young. And so, yeah, this whole like concept of being somewhere else while you're still here was just like profound. Yeah. And yeah. so that was something that really you could say 
has a lot to do with spatial dynamics. Great. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the quality of movement that you see in your students in, you know, middle school and high school. What are you teaching? What are you looking at? What, you know, I mean, you, you already mentioned that we wear the quality of our movement. You know what the lesson mm-hmm. is kind of that the student needs by how they move. Could, could you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe a couple examples of different things that you've seen and maybe some of the reasons why you've brought, you know, you know, ball, you know, ballroom dancing or whatever else you've brought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the fifth grade would be a great place to start because my second year for most of the years I was there, I taught fifth grade and the pentathlon is just the, the, the main focus uh-huh. in spatial dynamics uh, through the fifth grade year. And, you know, um, there has been a lot of controversy about what a pentathlon should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on where you are, whether it's West Coast or up in the North or in the East Coast or in different parts of the world, um, about how it's judged, um, even the forms of what javelin should look like or the ring wrestling uh, grip or how one is, how big the ring is. I mean, there's just so many facets of it that there hasn't seemed to have been one way that has been accepted by all yeah but i will say that spatial dynamics really brought this sort of um stillness Mm. in the fifth grader Mm. there's like this intention and you got to think about a fifth grader right where they're 10 or 11 years old yeah and you know they want to play their heart you know they want to do well and it's like and there's this thought that i brought what was brought to me that i really thought into about how to really have this child be with a javelin and yeah. be like, I'm here. And just, I'm gonna check for safety. And <clears throat> look at me, yeah. I got this. And have this confidence, yet not be like so rigid and structure focused that like, looks like they're more robotic, yeah. but to move into this gracefulness and dynamic. I mean, these words, yeah. like to throw gracefulness and dynamic into the same sentence was yeah. like new to me. Like uh-huh. really, we can be graceful and dynamic. Like to think about the word dynamic, right. like, it, just, it just exudes so much power and excitement for me yeah. because that is what an, an athlete or somebody who moves well, whether it's dance or ballet or, or rugby, that like you have this ability to do things that just looks amazing. Right. And you went from point A to point B, kind of like maybe they were already there yeah, in spatial yeah. dynamics, but right. you did it with such grace and speed or power yeah. that it's just, it's hard to put it into words. You can see it. Right. But how do you describe that? Right. How do you teach that? Right. Yeah. Right. And that was what was so powerful to me was to bring this to this fifth grade age. Yeah. And so some of the spatial dynamic dynamic exercises were rooting but also graceful mm-hmm. yeah and and then the whole training for a pentathlon it's all about this ability to you know be intentional and still beginning and ending but also have this like something you can measure and see mm-hmm. like when you run you run with grace but like it's fast yeah and it's balanced and it has symmetry the pentathlon to me is such a beautiful example of the intention behind when things are done, right? Yeah. And 
you know, the connection with the study of the Greek pantheon and the the almost the archetypes associated with each of the Greek gods and then the kind of evoking those qualities in your movement. Yeah. I mean, I really vividly remember as a fifth grader putting a lot of thought into who I wrote my ode to yeah. because I was, you know, I was pretty good at the discus. Like I could throw it a long way, but then I was, you know, I was like, oh, I need to make sure that whoever I pick has Apollo. qualities. It's Apollo. Well, I discus. picked I, I picked Artemis yes. because she was a woman and I wanted I wanted my, you know, girl power. Yeah, that's <laughs> understood. But but it was, you know, I it the reverence, right, of mm-hmm. having movement with reverence, because so much of movement had been kind of free form of on the playground, and it was just it was it was almost pure will yeah. <laughs> before that that you just do and you do and mm-hmm. I, I run, I climb the tree, I grab the ball, I I I race, and then all of a sudden then it said, Hey, but move with intention. Move yeah. with reverence move to move in the image of something greater than your physical body here yeah and that was really what's crazy i just remember on some level getting it yeah yeah that that that's what it was about yeah and spatial dynamics has a lot about that with the visuals the the images Mm -hmm. so one of the things that i that came out of the training was you know in the early years it's you know so not, not to play with the ball it's about using these images and creating stories to yeah. start a lesson. Mm. It was just like walking into a main lesson. Like you're not just oh, like going into movement. You're going into a story mm-hmm. that leads into movement. Heggity that peg. leads into an act. What's that? Heggity peg. <laughs> that leads into an activity. In the fifth grade is all about these images. Like Apollo is there witnessing your discus throw. If you throw it high enough as Apollo's up there in the clouds. He may look down and be able to see the inscription you wrote on your discus. Yeah. As you wrote that you hoped that Apollo was watching and that you were doing your best. Yeah, nice. And those images are something that we as Waldorf movement educators are trying to do throughout the years. You know, even as a high school student, when we're teaching something, you still are bringing those images and even trying to emulate them in yourself Mm -hmm. so that they can see it. Hmm. Because that is how we move. We move in these spaces that do create images mm. and are visuals for us to then, ah, I see it. Yeah. You can speak it, but if you can see it, it helps tie things together, hopefully, for them to tie into their own ability to engage their own body in space. Nice. That's incredible. Um, could you speak a little bit about, you know, the the role of organized sports in a Waldorf school and and maybe how how do you as an educator or how did you as an educator in a Waldorf school maybe approach an organized sports program differently than you had in the past in another environment or does that question yeah. kind of make sense? Well, I mean, I was starting from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> like there was a soccer team in the high school that played, but it was sort of informal and it wasn't always working out. And there was like a Boys or maybe and a girls basketball team in the middle school, but it was kind of not always consistent yeah. or well organized. So, like, I had some input from to me about what we should do, but I mean, it was like, what did people even want? Yeah. Hmm. So, kind of like, it wasn't up to me, or I didn't allow it to be up to me. Hmm. Yeah. I allowed for the students to pick their mascot. So, 
I really wanted the fighting gnomes. I, you know, <laughs> I don't even know how the ballot got the names on there. Yeah. I don't remember if it was me or because, but I got, I think it may be the faculty meeting. I told people that we need to get a mascot because mm-hmm. if we're going to have a school sports program, we got to have school colors and a mascot and fighting gnomes was on there. <laughs> Nerds. It might have been. I don't remember. Yeah, we were the wolves. Yeah, wolves. And there, there was another one, but it's like I, you know, that would have been a nice one to, to hold in the drawer. Yeah, you know, exactly. like the first, the ballot become the school mascot. Um, but the fighting gnomes were a, a, a not too far second place. Was so, it going to be a fearsome gnome with maybe like some sharp teeth or you know a, well, the, a twig? The students definitely were thinking about what the what the mascot would look like. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. what would the image look like yeah. and and so forth. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was the whole gamut. Like I didn't really choose the sports program. I was just going to help facilitate it. Yeah. So I knew that soccer was alive in the high school and that that was probably going to happen. And then, um, and that was the only thing that was really driving that time. And then here in New Mexico, it's cross country, football, volleyball, and soccer in this, in the fall. Mm -hmm. And then basketball was already alive in the middle school, but it wasn't really, consistent so um and then there was nothing in the spring and so that's kind of how it started was like okay you know i got jumped in and okay we've got a soccer team and we got to organize them and they had they had these haphazard like uniforms that were like I think they wore white shirts or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I, it was not a real uniform. I do remember a string of international exchange students really helped our soccer program. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> early years. So, yeah, trying to figure out what the sports were. There was a little bit of impetus of this is what we want. Yeah. And then we got a mascot and we chose the red and black and white of school colors. And then it really sort of take, took off on its own. Yeah. And the students really came to me about what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so and I was always really curious about this. The students were like, hey, what do you guys want for a, a spring sports program? Yeah, because you want to make sure they're going to show up for it. Yep. And, you know, it's baseball, it's tennis, it's uh, softball and track. Those are our spring sports here. And it was just unanimous was track and field because you know pentathlon's a big thing that lives in Waldorf students yeah. that yes. they feel that like that is something that like they look fondly on mm-hmm. and so it was a real natural easy I think for the many of them to say track and field because yeah, yeah. the love of running and throwing javelins and discus sounds really enticing to even an 18 year old so um, yeah so that's kind of how it started in terms of like you were saying like how the sports program uh, unfold or like, I'm yeah, I, I think question. I'm curious about, you know, did you hold it differently bringing, yeah, fil- that, you know, Waldorf philosophical or pedagogical impulses yeah. to the table? How did you maybe talk to an incoming coach yeah. coming from a public school about the impulse behind the sports program? I mean, and, and how did you try and balance the, you know, giving students a taste of success in sports while also maybe holding a bigger developmental picture of we want this. Yeah. yeah. What What did you yeah. and of course, knowing that you didn't have that at the beginning, yep. but you were in the position for a lot of years and gained experience. And after you done spatial dynamics, what what maybe did you bring ultimately in your work. Yeah. So for the first two years that I was in the school that the sports program was developed, I wasn't in spatial dynamics mm. and I was the coach of all the time. Yeah. Right. I didn't coach that fall because I just gotten there and I facilitated the soccer program, but I coached basketball, then track 
and then did cross country the next year, and then basketball and track, and then did that for a while. So as I was learning into what the school wanted, because it was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that even question. Like, what's different? Like, because I had been in a Moroccan school, and then I've been in a public high school. Yeah. And I know what those were. And so what I basically had gleaned in those first first few years was that the sports delivery is not quite anything different. Like, we're going to teach basketball. We're going to teach basketball. Yeah. But I saw what was different was the relationships of the coach with the players or what um, I think was expected of me in people watching. Because this is the ones, you know, like you can say discipline where people get to watch you. Yeah, people watch you work. Parents want to come and watch you, you know, at practice. Right. And then they all want to watch you be the coach. And everybody has an ability to see it firsthand. Yeah. Versus us going into somebody's main lesson. Uh, or for the whole community to come in and watch a main lesson. Right. So, you know, I sort of probably made some mistakes along the way, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, in terms of like my delivery, maybe not meeting a Waldorf pedagogical approach to how working with kids. Yeah. Because I don't think anybody really even knew. No. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I, because it was so new to the school. Yes. There wasn't really anything written down. Nobody was telling me what to do in terms of my approach in working with discipline or working with bringing them together or how to engage them when they're not, you know, finding their way through it or working with interplay between the kids who are in eighth yeah. grade. And six, I mean, there was a big thing. A sixth grader working with an eighth grader was not wholly accepted by everybody. Yeah. Mm. And that was the opening was sports will start in sixth grade and it's one team yeah. through eight, through the middle school. In Austin, we didn't start until seventh grade. Yeah, and probably for that reason, because of the controversy many people have, that an eighth grader is much older than a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think I navigated those waters fairly well that I was coaching many of the sports. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like, you know, it was somebody else. You know, I was often looking at myself in the mirror going, all right, (laughs) you need to be doing that a little bit differently. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, but I did have parents that were supportive and to get outside members was like brand new, like for the first three, four, five years, nobody knew to Waldorf came in, maybe mm-hmm. new parents, but they were mm-hmm. parents of the kids on the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't getting people off the streets, you know, who wanted to coach and were looking for a gig. Um, so, you know, that was an interesting dynamic working with parents yeah. who were, were trying to do their thing, but it wasn't necessarily maybe had that care and support and respect. Yeah. It could have been something that they brought with them from their childhood mm-hmm. or their experience yeah. or coaching different teams heading into it. That's a huge thing. Like when you come into a, a new school, like for me, it was like, I know what I bring and I could easily adapt. Yes. But not everybody was willing to make that ad- adaptation yeah. to being what was expected. And it wasn't like I was able to always watch them because I was also coaching at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I would say that um, the care for the students was the big thing. Yeah. Like, like you really see them and you try to look at who that person is. And that's what a Waldorf educator can do is take that with them after practice is over. Yeah. And really, you know, go to your sleep with them and really sort of call to their higher angels about, wow, what's happening here? Yeah. You yeah. know, and we see that in, in all fa- facets of education, but in athletics, they want to be there, but they're struggling. Yeah. Or they're not 
able to be where you think they should be at that yeah. moment. Yeah. And I think that's really hard to bring to parents. Yes. Right? To take that to that level. Mm-hmm. Or even people who maybe a colleague of yours who's not doing it in that way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, different teachers hold the students in different ways. Exactly. I, I'm wondering, as we are close to wrapping up, if there's a, anything that you would like to add or a question that we you wish we would have asked you. Oh. Um, you know, I think with uh, spatial, spatial dynamics, I mean, it's such a, a beautiful time in my life. You know, I just, it took 12 years, and then I came back, I did a Dancing Through the Grades Mm-hmm. Um, workshop with Jamie McMillan and an incredible man, Stephen Kotansky, who was like a lifelong dancer and yeah. educator. And he came in and just brought all these dances, mainly for the grades, one through eight, uh, maybe not always eighth grade, but um, but for all the grades. And it was just beautiful to reconnect with Jamin and, you know, you know, 12 years later yeah. and how vibrant he is and this Man, Stephen Kotansky was just incredible with his craft. I mean, beautiful and his yeah. delivery. The curriculum is just so inspiring, and so I was so excited for the school year um, to to bring some of this content to the yeah. children. And you know about really when we talk about DEI, you know, and like DEI meaning diversity, diversity <laughs> equity, and inclusion. <laughs> yes, yeah, maybe. that like you know how we struggled at the Santa Fe Waldorf School to really bring. I think for myself. Like that, you know, I, I know what I know, but I don't know a lot. And this really opened my eyes to these dances from Africa and from the Middle East and, and Asia. And I was like so excited to bring this culture, Yeah, you know, because it's like the style of the music and the, mm-hmm. what, what instruments are played, but the footwork and the intricacies of what they would do or like some of the joys or like emotions that can come from dancing and just yeah. the pure love. Of movement and then talk about spatial dynamics with dancing. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk about, you were mentioning that earlier, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't address it about, you know, when I was coming through all of my grades, like bringing dancing was just like, like yeah. it would brought the most joy to me. Yeah. Because I, I danced as a kid, but like not formally. Yeah. Like Kate, my first wife and I, we did um, swing dancing in college. And I was just like, what is this music? Like, where was I when all this because it was not like it, you couldn't find it, right. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, you know, or yeah. the style of dancing was like yeah. gone. It was yeah. just like where I didn't know it was happening, and like to bring that to children was just like on so many levels, yeah, of how we connect with one person or many, mm-hmm. you know, how we can listen and be able to move in our space, yeah, and in relationship to others. And how we engage, because you don't speak when you dance, right? I mean, yeah. you might have a com- casual conversation, yeah. but you were speaking to them the yeah. entire time. Oof, right, yeah. right. Yeah. And that relationship of being there in the spatial dynamics, but also communicating with this person right. in, in these subtle ways was, was just so beautiful. And so we did, in spatial dynamics, we did a dance every evening. Yeah. So we were brought a little bit of tango, a little bit of waltz. Lindy Hop or, you know, Square Dance. And I was like, I was just like, whoa, whoa. And I, I just kept learning more about it on my own. And yeah. then I would come back to school and I started teaching Square Dancing to fifth graders. Yeah. yeah. And then I was doing, you know, um, I was learning Contra Dance in the sixth grade and then Waltz in the seventh. And I was creating my own dance curriculum. 
Yeah. Not saying you had to do that or how to do that. Yeah. But just giving these hour, an hour and a half snippets at Spatial Dynamics and brought in such a beautiful way that it was like, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. And so that was a real joy for me that I felt like Spatial Dynamics allows one to take up. Yes. It's like this, yes. like, here, it's for you. Yeah. What would you like to do with it? Yeah. And I was always a go-getter. Yeah. And I still am. Like, you okay, are. I'm going to do it. I'll do it. And then, you know, I think to answer your question, it's like some of the things that came in spatial dynamics, like circus arts. Right. Yeah. Like, I learned how to juggle in two days. Uh-huh. Like, and I, didn't, like, I wasn't like constantly doing it 24-7. It was like we were in a circus arts block and... Jamin would tell you, you know, okay, you know, he would show you how to juggle and then, all right. Yeah. And then we get three balls. We're like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, and that was some of the things that he was teaching us was you don't just need to teach them, like let them here, give them a little demo and have them do it. And they may not be able to do it. And then you work backwards. Yeah. Right. About slowly bringing it to some skills, mm-hmm. but that challenges are good when they are hard. Yeah. And kids nowadays, as I've seen over the progression of my 22 years of teaching, they want to be spoon-fed how to do it. Mm. Like, tell me how yeah. to do it. I don't want to have to work hard. And, you know, just tell me how to do it. Right. And show me how to do it. What, what changed in your teaching as children changed, right? Because, I mean, it's changed. I, yeah. And I know there's there's always the general, generational perspective of, these kids aren't like me, you know? <laughs> Back <laughs> in my day. <laughs> Why don't they do that anymore? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, we used to be out in the fields. and <laughs> Right? But but they're really, I, I think that everyone in education feels that children are, bringing, are, are different. And I think that those in Waldorf schools have maybe a different way of talking about that, that they're bringing something different with them, right? That there is, that they are bringing something that our world needs. And how, how did your teaching change, especially in light of that last thing you just said of, of cultivating challenges and, and cultivating the will, right? To, okay, you didn't climb the wall the first time. You're going to try over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And, and find some meaning in the trying, right? Yeah. Did your teaching have to change? Yeah. Well, you know, I came from a poet school, so, like, it was very cut and dry. Hmm. Like, you know, the relationships that I had with the students were not at the same level. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It, I had bigger classes. Yeah. I didn't see them during the school day, right? Like, I was in the gym. Yeah. You know, and then they would go back over to, you know, history and science and so forth. So in a Waldorf, you know, public or or in a Waldorf, um, our Santa Fe Waldorf school that I was working with you guys, you know, you see them all the time. Yeah. In their class plays and and, and in their wilderness program and in their other pursuits in school. So like you saw them all the time. Right. And so what I saw when I came to Waldorf was like, you really got to know the students and mm-hmm. see them who for who they are. And they knew who you were. Yeah. Right. And so, so some of my style, I was a little bit more rigid and strict. And then, you know, I, I, I learned how to uh, soften my edges and um, get to know the students and then to get to know me. And so I felt like I opened up a yeah. lot more Yeah. and I became a little bit more, um, approachable. Not that I was like tough. I mean, I, don't, I think you probably saw me like 
was I not approachable when in my first years teaching? But no, you're one of the more approachable. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But I, yeah, but like in, when I was coaching kids at you know JV football and baseball and teaching large classes, like you have to be like you can't have any crap because yeah. it just unwinds and spirals out of control yes. from there in big groups. And so, you know, I had that ability to bring it in and hold it. Mm. And then there was like this like constant wanting to be stretched mm-hmm. by, by all those students. And so my teaching really, um, brought, I had more joy. Yeah. You know, I was cracking jokes and more than I would have than mm-hmm. I, when I first started. And I, I think that in the sense of bringing joy to my lessons, right. that we had a good time together. And I think, I hope that students who would think back to our, our classes together would also think fondly in that way that we learned how to move together, that there was a real core to what we were doing, mm-hmm. but that maybe I emulated some of that in my own movements, mm-hmm. you know, how to be, you know, present, but yeah. also in my body and able to be in control, to be able to have that empathy for students who don't want to be there or don't have that, mm-hmm. you know, who have that, you know, um, you know, movement challenge of right. being able to juggle three balls, for instance, but to be there for them. And like, I really felt like I, I had this um, commitment mm. that I want to help you. Yeah. I really want to, I want to show it for you. I want to be it for you. I also want to encourage you and, and stay positive. Yeah. And I didn't have that in my beginning, you know, it was more about my delivery and making sure I teach it the right way. Mm-hmm. And um, and, you know, did they learn today, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing versus like getting beyond that and see who we are as people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I feel like I, I became more of a human, I guess you could say. Totally. Instead of just like a, you know, drill sergeant, so to speak. Yeah. I, I think that was definitely with, with high school students, a learning moment in, and I, I don't know why I kind of latched onto this explanation and it. It might not be totally accurate, but that in many ways, and I remember this as a high school student, you're almost looking to your teachers as like a possible template of like, huh, this is like, this is who a person could be. Right. Right. Of, of, Mm -hmm. you know, huh, that's how an adult could adult. And so that in teaching high school students, they, they want to know you. In many ways. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because they think that they really know you. Mm -hmm. And there were multiple times, especially with seniors, where I would be like, dude, this is my work. (laughs) (laughs) You don't. (laughs) I I, I know that that we have this, this, you know, this real genuine rapport, but this is, you know, you don't fully know me and that's good. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, but that they're, they, they do want you. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that you talking about how so much of the work that you did in spatial dynamics was cultivating the vessel as in your body and your presence and your space. And that so much is gained just if you show up with that Mm -hmm. at its best. Yeah. Or at its realist, maybe, mm-hmm. whatever that is on, on each day. But that so much of the, you know, and we talk about it with, you know, with other teachers of this inner work, right? So much yep. of the inner thing that you do to prepare, to show up. Right. It, it, that pre-lifting does so much for you, yeah. right? Yeah. And I would have to get myself so 
interworked to get into spatial dynamics with high school students. Yeah. In the last five, really right before COVID and through COVID, like students were more likely to not want to do spatial dynamics in a profound way. Yeah. Like Mm. not want to engage. And it was like the most time that they maybe needed it. Yeah. Because we were so lifeless during COVID of just being inside and not being together and Mm -hmm. being moving together that it was like, I could see, and it happened before COVID too, that, you know, when you watch high school students do spatial dynamics, it is like the entire spectrum is there for you. Yeah. And, and there'll be like moans and groans about doing it. Uh, Cause there's like some different, you know, it's cool or it's not cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and certain classes thought it was cool and other classes didn't think it was so cool. Um, but there is something really that I saw that I had to do in myself to prepare like how I am. Yeah. And sometimes I was able to really, I think, be that image, mm. to be that, you know, holding my space. And when you reach out to the periphery, yeah, you have gone all the way around the world. Right. Right. Like you went out with your right hand yeah. and went around the world and it met you in your left hand. Yeah. And you are reaching out and feeling that connection and they see it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it felt like, you know, they could get there. Right. Yeah. But it was harder as I went into my career. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's my own. I've thought of my own reflection. Like maybe I'm not doing enough of my own practice. Yeah. And my own inner work to really be there in that way that I wasn't able to do earlier. Or was it a different group of students? Right. Who accepted it. Yeah. Or who really bought into this movement is really nourishing. Yeah. Like I am actually being in and out. And I wouldn't say it so much like that, but I would also try to reach out into the periphery, Mm -hmm. you know, and say things to really help them. You know, imagine you're being pulled up to the heavens, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's these things that we would try to do as educators, right? And and get them into those places. Yeah. And yeah. Do you remember doing spatial dynamics exercises? Well, I do. I, in my Waldorf school, I think it was probably Jamin's early years of putting classes together and they had, um, so we, I remember classes of, of, you know, move, you know, spatial dynamics classes. And I, I just remember really intense games of space ball oh, that they yeah. would play, yeah. you know, Arnica, all, you know, wafts of Arnica <laughs> all over the place as these adults were playing games that we all played too. And we all took it up. I mean, I remember me personally, I remember really living into the experience and, and, and not, not mocking it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I have this memory and, and in Austin, we had movement with the ninth and 10th had movement together and 11th and 12th. And it was groups of about 50 in our gym. Yeah. And I remember being in a huge circle and we would, you know, maybe do some of these sequences and, the first three or four times we went through it, there were giggles, there were moans and groans, and then eventually quiet would prevail. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like those sixth, seventh, eighth times, there was something real. And, and, and that I really, really vividly remember as being profound. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and like the, like the in-betweens, of, you know, when you've gone so far up that you're about to tip over and go down or, mm. or these these like shifts in momentum, I remember really feeling of, you know, and then the, the you've gone so far out that then you're about to con- like 
I, I, yeah. I don't know how to put words to it, but I, you know, I definitely remember it. And then. Well, I give you another Jaminism. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is out and in of their body at the same time. Yeah. Are you aware? <laughs> and no, I mean, most no. of us aren't. Right. Not in any, I mean, maybe if you bring that to your consciousness, but to really think like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm walking to the store from the car, you know, totally. I was in the car going to the store. Where am I in this? You know, like nobody really thinks like that. Right. But a spatial dynamic person would at times be aware, not all the time, but that, what is that even that concept? Yes. And I think especially thinking about the implications socially as we interact with other humans. And I know there are certain people when they speak to me, I feel so affronted. And I realize that it's like that they are so outside of themselves that I feel really um, like an invasion on my being. And I find myself stepping away. Mm -hmm. Whereas other people, you know, you find yourself maybe reaching toward them. And then I think, you know, it brings a whole other layer of complexity to thinking about like interhuman intimacy of like, no, you're not only like you are inviting someone into your space yeah. and, and who you choose to do that with. And, yep. and, you know, just the, the deep spiritual reverberations of yeah. those choices. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. And you know, I, I take spatial dynamics with me everywhere I go. Yeah. Like that's one of the things, the joys of this, this training was, is like, I, you know, I'm teaching soccer with my, my son's team and I'm constantly taking these little nuggets that I've learned about, you know, I say, all right, so you're going to kick it over there to that. So do you know where that is? Or is just the ball go somewhere? Yeah. Like have an intention. Where is that ball going? And are you there yet? Like, are you passing it to them? Are you, you call their name? Do they know it's coming to them? And and it's an, in a nine, 10, 11 year old way right now. Yeah. That's not, I'm not teaching in a Waldorf school, but it's how we are. Right. Like you can say that like, that is a profound way to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to bring to these kids in a really simple way Yeah, that like all that we do, you know, can be done in a way that is really conscious right. that I am mm-hmm. out and in at the same time. Yeah. Like when I'm passing to this little 10 year old, I've already saw where that person was. I've already reached out and a stream to them. And then the ball happened to follow. Yeah. The ball just came later. Yeah. And hence, you know, when we start to make these connections and movement, it starts to start to make sense. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you very much, Daniel, for this time together. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, Yeah, me too. Thanks for inviting me. This was great. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's lovely to, to hear all of this, all the wisdom you have. Yeah. And congratulations on your podcast. Thanks, so man. <laughs> Hanging out in Matthew's garage. I know. <laughs> in the next chapter of our lives. I know. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, always something new. Would you like to be a sponsor on Hard Beeswax? Email us at hardbeeswax at gmail.com. That concludes another episode of Hard Beeswax. Thanks for listening. For episodes and more, please visit our website hardbeeswax.transistor.fm.